Welcome to Solutions from the Huddle, powered by Collaborative Solutions Group. We're discussing meaningful business and life topics to add motivation to your life and value to your efforts. Our show is hosted by certified professional CSG coaches who are often hired for private coaching, corporate training, and speaking engagements. Now, enjoy the show. This is Solutions from the Huddle, and I am your host, Titus Bartolotta. Hey, the show is powered by Collaborative Solutions Group, and we are at it again. We have um, a really, really amazing, cool show. I think we've only done this once or twice, but today we don't have one guest. We have two guests simultaneously bringing the noise. Like I'm talking about bringing so many strategies and tips and, and, and really cool stories. You are going to love uh, this podcast. This is the one that you're going to share with your favorite people, right? Like you normally share the show with the people that are kind of cool. This is the one that you're going to send to the folks that matter the most. I have no doubt about it. Um, before we get into introducing our guest uh, for today, our guests, uh, we start the show the same way every time. We, we pray and we want to do that this time. So Lord, we just ask that you bless the show, our guests, our sponsors, just every part of it. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Okay, guys, I am really, really excited. So check it out. We have uh, Justin and Alexis uh, on the program today. They are authors, they are speakers, they are business owners, and they're doing it together. So together, they've created some really cool things like Scholarship Expert and the Rose Empowerment Group. Uh, They're supporting hundreds of young people. They have a book that's already got seven awards. Guys, these uh, these folks are doing big, big things, and we are going to get to learn from them today. So Justin and Alexis, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate having you. Thank you so much for having us. We're honored to be on here with you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's awesome. You guys can't see because this is audio only. I get to see them, but they are so cool, man. Um, I, I love the space they're in. They've got all this cool artwork. It's 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 so cool to see you guys. Tell us a little bit. Tell everybody that doesn't already get to read your bio a little bit about who you are, where you guys came from, and what really inspired you to start some of these amazing programs and offerings that you've got. Yeah, so um, I'm Alexis Black, and I'm originally from Flint, Michigan, and my husband's from Detroit, Michigan. And uh, we both are foster care alumni. So we came up through the foster care system and we met in college in a foster care uh, program. It was more of a scholarship support program uh, called the CETA Scholars Program. And uh, we went to Western Michigan University where we graduated from. And for those that don't know, less than 3% of foster youth graduate college. So we both graduated and um, we decided that we wanted to, you know, start businesses together. Uh, We sort of started our kind of entrepreneurial journey in college where we both, uh, we studied abroad 13 times combined and we created a co-created a study abroad program. So that kind of started a little bit of it, of our partnership. And then from there, um, we were in South Africa last year and, or no, in 2020. Yeah. Last year (laughs) uh, we were emergency evacuated. And after that we were like, what do we do now? We applied for over a hundred jobs, didn't get anything. And we're the type of people that if an opportunity doesn't come to us, we're going to create it. And so we decided we're going to start writing our book. And in about two months, we wrote our book. And then another two months of editing, then published, or then Justin graduated. We got married, published the book in November, won uh, seven book awards since then, sold 6,000 books. We're self-published. So most self-published authors don't sell more than 1,000 books. So it's really incredible journey so far. Now we're doing 
mostly speaking engagements full time. Uh, we were able to buy our first home because of our book. So it's it's been really incredible so far. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything you want to add? You covered it all. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the end of the show. Um, that, no, I'm just kidding. That is incredible. Uh, people are listening and they're going, oh my gosh, like this is the stuff that people hope for, right? This is the stuff that feels like dream stuff. And, and I want to get into not just what you've done, but I want to get into how you've done it, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what listeners are hoping for. That people people want far more than inspiration, right? Whether they know it or not down deep, they need some strategy. Mm-hmm. And so I love the inspiration and I love the journey. Um, and, and what research has shown me, you were being really generous a moment ago by saying that most self-published don't do more than a thousand. Most of them don't do 500 and 300 of their friends and mom. And oh, so yeah. th- th- those are generous numbers you put out there. So 6,000 is legit. Okay. That is absolutely incredible. Um, and, and the seven awards is amazing as well. Tell, tell our audience though, a little bit, uh, what, what mentally and empowered you guys to do what you've done? Cause where you came from, isn't easy, right? You, you shared the stats with us. Um, and I'm sure at least once, maybe even twice you, you were discouraged along the way and like the obstacles in the mountains were big. Like, how do you push through that? Because so many people are, are irritated because it's Monday. Like you guys had to get over a lot more than like the Monday blues. How did you do that in order so you could do the next thing, right? No worries. Uh, Monday is still a struggle. <laughs> Monday is yes. still a struggle for us. But um, yeah, so I think a lot of it is about perspective. So we, we had the opportunity to go through the process of changing our perspective and one of Alexis' favorite quotes is, you are the average of the five people you're around. And, you know, there we, we've all gone through struggles. Our struggles may be a little bit more unique to the general public, uh, going through trauma and everything. But everybody has gone through struggles in, in a sense. And I feel that, you know, you are a man of God. We open up with prayer. So God operates in us when we are, uh, when we are at our lowest points, when we oh. are weak. He is he is strong and he can yeah. he's able to operate. So yeah. I think when we were going through those serious situations, going through that trauma and abuse and everything, God was working in us a story and a journey that was going to be incredible and mm. going to be more abundantly and going to multiply our opportunities. So we were able to use that trauma and those experiences to create books, to create businesses and to serve other people. And I think wow. it really just it is a lot about perspective because. So many people we know who've gone through those similar things, they rest in that, they live in that, they're defined by those moments. Instead of, you know, our lives, we feel like we've lived multiple different mm-hmm. lives because uh, through our childhood and teenage years, there may have been a certain trauma and things, but we're utilizing those to our advantage now as adults. Mm-hmm. We gain skills and that has helped us get our degrees, that's helped us travel abroad to so nearly 30 countries together. Wow. Um, it's helped us do so many things and it's just about perspective, you know, cause you're going to go through things. We're all going to go through things. And I forget the statistic, help me with the statistic. I, I'm always uh, shaky on those, but 90% of life is no. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> 10% so, of life is what happens to us. And 90% is how we react. I think that's it. Or it's the opposite. Or it's the opposite. <laughs> you, get, you get what I'm saying. But the thing is, it's just about controlling what we can control. And, you know, a lot of times in life, there are things that happen to us that we can't control, but we can control our reactions, our mindset, how we go into it. And that's something that we've always been working on. And as we go through these new challenges of 
uh, marriage and next week we'll be married for officially one year which is exciting um we've been in business for a little over a year and homeowners for less than a year as we go through these new challenges we have to remember that our mindset has to be in the right place going into these and there are going to be things out of our control but what we can control is how we feel our mindset and who we take these problems to do we take it to other people or do we take it to god and understand that these are spiritual battles that we need Mm -hmm. to deal with and that's something that we're starting to understand now and something we wish we would have understood more as young adults and teenagers Mm -hmm. but um I think that's really was just what it's about perspective. I love it, man. Perspective. That's powerful. Uh, Justin, I appreciate that. Hey, um, I want to know how you, how you stop yourself from getting distracted, right? Cause you talk about perspective, you talk about, you know, and because we're two, we're, we're three people of faith here. Um, I don't think it would be inappropriate. And even if it wasn't appropriate, I wouldn't care. It's my show. Um, you know, <laughs> there we go. He, Peter had a stare at Jesus so he could walk on water. Right. So, he, so he had to keep his eyes fixed on something, but then if he got distracted, perspective matters, right? What we're looking at matters. But when we get distracted, uh, we, 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 we don't walk no more. We start floating. Right. And so like, how do you guys not get distracted with the, all the different things that you're doing? Not just how did you not get distracted to overcome your obstacles in the past, but how do you remain so focused when you have a lot on your plate? Mm -hmm. I think uh, Simon Sinek has a lot to do with that, with figuring out our why and why it is that we do what we do. And trust me, it was it was really, really difficult for us to decide to publish our book because it felt like publishing our diary. And so for mm-hmm. me, I had many doubts in the journey and I kept asking Justin, like, are we sure we want to do this? Are we sure we want to move forward? Because potential employers, employees, friends, family are going to read this. And why are we why are we doing this? But in mm-hmm. the beginning, we made sure we wrote down what is our purpose behind this? What is our intention? What do we want to what do we want to have come from this? Um, what is our impact? And so we kind of wrote that on the wall. And when we're struggling, we have to reflect on that and think about what it is that we are doing this for. And almost always, well, actually always, <laughs> it is far greater than us. Even though a lot of this book is about us and our story, um, it's also much bigger than us. It's helping generations heal. It's helping families mm-hmm. and communities heal and move forward, break those generational patterns that we had to do to redefine their normal and what it is that that looks like because everybody has a normal uh, based on your family, community or society. And it may not include such traumatic things that we've gone through, but everybody has something that they need to redefine, whether it's financial struggles or other things that's being passed down generationally. And that is really the core of who we are is serving and giving back and wanting to heal and um, encourage other people to move forward. Man, uh, Alexis and Justin Black right here on Solutions from the Huddle. Their book's called Refine, uh, Redefining Normal. Um, I love I love the, the subtext of there, like how two foster kids beat the odds. I just love that. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't have a ton of experience in, into the foster community. My father was was um, someone who came out of the foster community and, and it didn't go well. His, he, his story isn't like yours. Um, and so I know the majority of the folks that go through that experience don't uh, ha- get, get to have the kind of results that you guys have. So I know that if the the status quo and the common denominator is is the complete opposite of what you're doing, then I know that there there is something unique and, and, and diligent and intentional about the two of you. There is no there is no doubt. I want to ask how um, how do you multitask while staying um, single minded? 
right? Like, again, you, you just kind of talked about knowing your why and how Simon Sinek helps with that. Uh, another great book, maybe not as great as Redefining Normal, but uh, but S- Simon will catch up to you guys. I'm sure he will. But uh, I want to know, how do you guys, because multitasking is really tough, right? Like I, I tend to not love, like I tell folks like be single-minded because mm-hmm. I watch people spin 12 plates and drop 13 of them. Uh, you know, I don't even know how they dropped a 13th plate. Uh, how do you, how do you fight and struggle with that? Like to get so focused on something and be single-minded to bring change mm-hmm. while at the same time, not losing sight of the other things on the plate. You know, I, I get the why, but, but still, h- how do you prioritize? Well, I feel like it's a couple of different things to it. So first you have to understand like, okay, you understand your big overall why and the reason you're doing that. And that could be seen as like your big overall goal that you're working towards. Mm. And then you have to kind of weave out other side things that you will get done, but it's not top priority to that ultimate goal and understand the different steps to that ultimate why. So Mm. you have to break that big why or that big goal down into smaller goals. That's good. You know, we make every year we make big goals. We have our five year plan and everything. But really, we have to think about, OK, what needs to be done in the month of June or July or, or August? What needs to be done in this month? What is this month for? What is this week for? What is this day for? What does this day consist of? You know, mm-hmm. you know, we are kind of stepping back in the months of July and August, but revving things back up in September and October and the rest of the fall. And we just have to prioritize the seasons of the year and the months of the year and understand there is purpose and reason behind each and every section, even every section of the year. So what we do is we break those big goals down into small goals and say, okay, this month, maybe this product will be released based on um, maybe National Adoption Month, maybe the one year anniversary of our book release, maybe the one year anniversary of our wedding. Try to be strategic as possible and have those building blocks going on. You know, you're not just going to shoot straight to the goal, the ultimate goal, the yeah. why, but there's those building blocks to it. And yeah. I love the Will Smith quote where he talks about, you know, just one brick at a time. And then we can step back and look at it overall, but you have to keep building and building and building mm-hmm. this one brick at a time because it's not just going to happen all, all at once. And that's something that I have to learn with patience and we both have to learn. But uh, I think just really being single minded, it, it comes down to to-do lists, uh, uh, prioritizing things. She has like a 50-page long to-do list, and mm-hmm. I don't know how she does it, but <laughs> you know, I see her pushing things off all the time and prioritizing certain tasks that need to be done immediately. And I think that's really the intention and also delegating, you know, giving tasks to other people. We just yeah. brought on an assistant, and we're working on building our team now so we can have a team full of people who are all focused on this idea and concept of redefining normal. So uh, giving tasks to other people, because we understand we can't do everything. And if we try to do everything, then we're actually limiting ourselves, limiting the ability that we have with our impact and limiting the company overall. So giving tasks to other people, uh, creating to-do lists and being organized and prioritizing things and setting many goals outside of that small goal. 
is mm-hmm. how we kind of prioritize things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with that, we did create an internship program. So that started in October. We've had over 20 interns and just seeing their growth has been one of my favorite things of this journey so far. And it's and a part of our mission and who we are is to give back and uh, to spread the knowledge and, and everything that we've learned. I mean, you can see that in our book. You can see that on our social media. That is kind of the core of who we are. Uh, just giving back. And <clears throat> I read this book the other day and I didn't realize that I was kind of already doing that. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but basically this, the premise is that we have to focus on what is in the moment and the priority, the one thing, what is the one thing right now? And so when I look at my to-do list of, it's not, he's not lying, it's probably 30 pages at this point, but <laughs> looking at that and figuring out what is the one thing in this moment that's going to push the needle the furthest? What is the one thing that's going to have the greatest impact? And it may not be the 50 little things, it may be just focusing on one task for the day. So that's kind of how I delegate and figure out what it is yeah. that we should be working on. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, can you give the listeners a little like behind the curtain into redefining normal? Like what are they going to get from this book? Bring them into a few of these chapters. And by the way, uh, 300 plus pages, like y'all, they wrote a book. Okay. They didn't, this ain't a pamphlet. Okay. This, this is a book. Um, give, them, give them a little insight into the book if you could. What, what are they going to get when they're on the other side of reading? Yeah, so it's it's roughly, I would say, 270 pages. The rest is, I mean, don't get me wrong. We want you to read those. Can you help and acknowledge Manson, the author, author? You definitely yeah. get into that. And as you, if you finish the book, you know, you definitely want to learn more about us, I feel like. But um, Redefining Normal, as Alexa said earlier, the overall concept is about how your family, community, and society has influenced your identity and your concept of normal. And as you go along the book, uh, the first chapter, words on the index card, is basically about how we met and these two people coming from, I wouldn't say different worlds, but at different stages in their life and going through different things, they come together and they find some commonality and, and with all the chaos going on in their life, they kind of find a sense of calmness and peace within each other. And the next chapter, because we get to exploring one another, who we are, but then we have to understand, you know, part of who we are is our trauma. So at the end of the first chapter, I asked, man, everything she's going through, you know, I can't imagine she doesn't look like anything that she's going through because she's been through a lot. But she's such an, a beautiful, amazing woman. So in that next chapter, we start to dive into those most some of our most traumatic experiences that shaped our identity and really left a mark on our lives. And we dive into that. And the book is structured where before each chapter, there is what does the statistics say? You know, the subtitle says beat the odds. So we have to look at the statistics of what it means to be a foster care alumni, what it means to be a black man in society, what it means to be a woman aging out of the foster care system and all the statistics, the negative statistics that come with that. And I, I can name a million of them, but there's statistics before each chapter. And right after that is what does God say to offset the worldly expectations, to offset the expectations of what people think we should do in society, the expectations of our community if they are negative. So we have scriptures to kind of combat those ideas. And we always say you could take our lives out and put your life in because there's like a, a bunch of different topics that everybody needs to ask for themselves. Like, you know, uh, talking it out, and which is a formal way of communication, how we were, how people around us communicated when we were children, when we were children and how that translated to us being adults. And, you know, the cycle, what cycle are you on 
where your family is just passing things down to you and you're just living it out out of habit and comfort instead of being intentional about living a life worth living and breaking those negative generational cycles. And so many things desperate for love and, and understanding definitions of love that we talk about. And it's an exchange of narratives where Alexis goes first, share her perspective on times where she was desperate for love, traumatic things that shaped her identity. And then I go and share the same thing. But as you read the book, we want you to challenge yourself to understand your definition of love and times you were desperate for, for love, uh, your ways of communication that you learned from your parents. How did your mom and dad communicate? And how did that translate to you and who you are today? So figuring things out like that, and it's something we want to challenge people to do with this book. Yeah, you know, you're you're speaking my language now, and and the folks that listen to the show uh, know that, that that's such a big topic for us: love and 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 harmony and peace and equality. All those we put out a collaborative solution group. We put out a mag, a digital magazine every month. We call it Flame. Um, and it's just an acronym. It's, it's how we do everything in our business here at CSG. Uh, it's, it's faith, love, appreciation, motivation, and empathy. And we just think like, if, if there's a dark place and you light a flame, it's not dark anymore. If there's a cold place and you light a flame, it's not cold anymore. Um, and so I love when I hear other people say how, how important love is, right. And how, and how, you know, just about every situation, if you just give it a little love, right? It's just lacking love. If it's broken, it's probably just needs a more love. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we get the world to see that? And I'm so excited that, that you guys are screaming it from the mountain. How do, how do we get the world to understand? We probably, you know, maybe we don't need more discipline and yelling and arguing and fighting. And like, like, what if we like, oh, could hugs really save the day? Um, how, do, how do you get that message out and, and, and combat the people that say, oh, that's just pie in the sky, right? Yeah, I think it's really challenging people's perspectives of what it is that they believe to be the best solution. And for us, you know, growing up, beating kids, you know, doing all these negative, awful things to each other. That was the way that you show love. That was the way that you teach each other respect and other things like that. But it wasn't until I met my foster now adoptive parents at 17 that I was shown a completely different world that you don't have to beat your kids. You can Mm. listen and love on each other and show each other, you know, respect out of uh, not buying them things, not proving th- that you love them and you're worthy of their love every single day. And um, my mom even called me the other day and said, Alexis, I love you no matter what it is that you accomplish, whether you do what it is you're wanting to do or not, I'm going to still be here and love you. And I think kids need to hear that. People, adults yeah. need to hear that from their parents. How much of your life have you kind of wasted away just by trying to prove love by Mm. around you, by your family, by especially your parents. Um, So if we would just tell each other that we love each other, we respect each other. And no matter what, we're going to be there. There's that unconditional love and support. I can promise you that will heal generations (laughs) and heal, heal, um, you know, the the generation coming up behind us. And that's what it is that we want to talk about um, because we go to a lot of different circles and, and individuals and we try to combat these these narratives that are being passed down generationally of why do we do the things that we do? Who, who started that? Why is that there? Um, and should it continue? Like what, what purpose is it having in our life? Is it actually positive or negative? Mm-hmm. You know, we got to challenge people with their definition of love in general. 
I think the world has a certain definition of love that's based on raw emotion and just being passionate about somebody. Um, I think if we can challenge people with the definition that the Bible gives us, you know, love is patient, love is kind. It, it holds no record of wrong. It, it, it never fails. And, and it's a list that we always talk about in every single presentation that we do, because uh, it's just a general idea and a new definition that is right there in the book, but people don't really think about it. If people come up with their own definition, when well, you have a definition right there, mm-hmm. yeah. it also tells wow. us that we need faith, hope, and love. And out of those three, love is the most important. Mm-hmm. So if you can rely yes. on those things and really have a good definition of love where, where the Bible tells us the definition, and we rely on our patience, we rely on being kind, we rely on um, not holding people's records of wrong, and not being envious and all these other things, we can rely on those things. You just see how families will change, see how communities will change and see how uh, so many environments around us will start to reflect, you know, God and reflect the kingdom instead of reflecting the, the things and the evil we're doing on earth. So I think that's something we should strive for. That's powerful. It, it really is. I, you know, I, I have never heard someone say, I've never heard it. You know, the world complains a lot. I don't know if y'all know this, like on social media, people, <laughs> sometimes people got something to say that's not nice, but I've never heard a person complain about getting loved too much. I've just never heard anybody say, you know, what's really annoying me today. It's just, everybody just keeps loving me. It's really bothering me. Like I've never, I've never heard that. Um, I love, I love the message you, you guys. And I love the name redefining by the way. Um, you know, my, my, my story is, um, uh, single parent mom, drugs, didn't meet my dad till I was 12, uh, homelessness, all of that stuff. And, and one of the things that, um, that, that is said when I go to speak is where poverty defines most, it is redefined Titus. And so uh, the redefine is a big part of my, every time I go up to speak, I hear that, that line. And so to see that that's what you guys have titled your book is like this kindred thing. I'm like, yes, I love these people. These are my people. Um, Tell, tell our audience on the other side, we're going to take just a quick little break here, but I want to know about the Rose Empowerment Group, right? I'm really, really curious to know what you're doing with that. And then I also want to know like how folks can connect with you, right? So this is the part, website, social media handles, all that stuff. Um, and, and just a quick break. We just want to say thank you to the partners and sponsors that, that continue to pour into uh, this show. Um, if you guys want to know more about the great companies that partner with us, that believe in this idea of bringing talented, amazing individuals and teams like Justin and Alexis, then just go to team-csg.com. That's team-csg.com. You'll see lots of great companies like Novant Health, uh, Speedy Oil Change. You'll see uh, Carolina Auto Warehouse, all, all these different companies that believe in what we're doing. Make sure you go to team-csg.com. Okay. So I want to know about the, the Rose Empowerment. Uh, let me make sure I'm saying it right. Um, it, it, it's the Rose Empowerment Group. Yeah. What does that mean exactly? So honestly, Rose stands for rising over societal expectations. And uh, we love the acronym Rose because it plays so many. It means it means so much to us. And right now, uh, Rose is a is a three component thing. It's an initiative under redefining normal, but three component thing where we focus on individual development, community empowerment and development as far as communication, relationships and and uh, growth in many different areas and then establishing initiatives that help with growth in communities as it relates to combating systematic racism, poverty, yeah. and, and having community members rely on one another. Those three components, 
And then uh, right now we're just hosting the podcast, Rose from Concrete Podcast, which you can see over there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And trying to drag Alexis on a few episodes, but we're just hosting the podcast right now, but we have many different things. And again, it's under Redefining Normal, so we're going to be producing so many books and, and initiatives and programs under Rose Empowerment Group and really impacting individuals and communities in so many different ways that we're just extremely excited impacting children with a children's book series and uh programs and and so many amazing things that we're excited for mainly all in 2022 2023 but uh extremely excited about yeah um as we kind of close out what i'd love to do is i'd love to ask you how some of the uh, lessons that your book and that your programs conveys to the world, how some of those lessons apply to, to the workforce, right? To, to entrepreneurs, to businesses, to corporations. I'm a big, big, big believer um, in, in we, we have got to find a way to talk to businesses. Like communities are made up of places that we do business. And so many civil rights and so many human equality position changes in human history are birthed out of when businesses get behind it, right? Because unfortunately, money matters. Mm-hmm. And when companies say, you can't talk to an employee this way, and when companies created an HR department, when businesses said, you know, you have to have diversity, when businesses get behind something, all of a sudden, it like opens the door for people like you to say, well, damn, this is what I've been talking about, <laughs> right? Like, now, now y'all will listen to us. And so how do we get the business community I would love some strategies and tips that you have for entrepreneurs that are listening right now going, we don't maybe put some of those lessons into practice. That's not yet a part of our company culture. I'd love for you to say some words to speak to those people because we have lots of folks. Mm-hmm. You want to really make an impact. The person listening right now that, that has 250 people working for them, like if we can impact that guy or that girl, then we just impacted the hundreds or thousands of folks, right? That, that, that they're influencing and managing and leading. So I'd love to know some, some of the strategies and some of the words you have for the business community. Uh, and for the business community right now, uh, put the pad down for just a minute. Stop multitasking and checking your email while you're listening to the podcast. Chill for a minute. I want you to hear what Justin and Alexis have to say. Yeah. And I mean, even with our, it's a company. So we decided not to go the nonprofit route. We decided to have this as a for-profit company. And we decided that for a couple of reasons. One, growing up on the receiving end of all these different nonprofits as a child, I thought that the only way to give back and to serve other people was through nonprofits. But then I realized that we can make money while impacting other people. And uh, I learned that through mentors. This is definitely not an idea that we came up with. <laughs> mentors came to us and um, planted that seed of uh, starting a business, of being authors. We would never be where we are without those mentors. So those that are listening, that is absolutely something that you should consider is in your company, creating some sort of mentorship program, especially bringing in foster care alumni or those that are still in foster care into your company, shadowing you, learning from you, because there's so much to be learned uh, in these different spaces that you need to give back in, in that. And <clears throat> for us at the core of what, what it is that we do in our book and our company and our team is remaining authentic, remaining um, intentional and vulnerable and having integrity. These are the basis of who we are and, and how we shape our team, how it is that we decide of who we want to hire or who we're going to fire. Um, and we've had to do a lot of that <laughs> in the last couple yeah. months even. Um, so that's, that's really how I 
would always um, encourage other people to live their lives and especially taking that into the leadership roles and taking it into their teams and into their businesses because we cannot grow uh, trust, respect, all these things without being vulnerable and intentional mm. um, and having integrity and being authentic. Like that is just who we are at the basis of our core as humans. Uh, so that would be my biggest piece of advice. What would yeah. be yours? <laughs> I mean, not too far away from what Alexis is saying. Um, I would just say reflect on your leadership skills, your leadership ability. Um, I've heard from, uh, I know, I don't know if you're familiar with the influencer Gary Vee, but I yeah. seen his videos a while ago and he talked about leadership and how, you know, we, we are starting to develop a team right now. We have like an internship program and so much of sometimes we have expectations like, oh, you need to do this. You need to do that. Why isn't this person doing this? Why isn't this person doing that? But we can look at other people, but reflect on your leadership and what does your leadership look like? And are you positioning the people around you to be successful? And that's what true leadership is about, you know, not just having followers, but positioning the people around you to be successful in the way that if you were to even step back a little bit, they know how to operate things themselves. They have the information and tools they need from their leader Mm -hmm. to be successful in their role. And I think that's just one of the most important things about being a business owner, being an entrepreneur is passing the information along so people can be empowered to be successful and do their own thing. Eventually, you know, we don't, we're not, trying to get employees just to have employees for the rest of our lives. We're trying to empower people so they can uh, do great things in their life as individuals and impact their family, community, or other companies. And that's really what entrepreneurship is about, you know, creating, they, uh, you helping them utilize the skills that they have to solve the issues around the world and in their community or in the nation, you know, and helping them understand those skills that they have and how those skills align with a problem they need to solve. And once we empower people that way and have that mindset of, okay, how can I tap into this person's skill set so they can solve this problem? I think mm-hmm. once we have that mindset, then we'll make a lot of progression as a business, as a, a team, and as leaders. Yeah, I mean, I, what I think I'm hearing you say is kind of how you started this interview is perspective. Right, mm-hmm. the way in which a person looks at a thing, and, and maybe if you started your business with the wrong perspective, or maybe if you are running it currently with a perspective that's 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 skewed, uh, you may not ne- go nearly as far as God, you know, <laughs> intended for you to go. Um, you know, one time someone someone said to me, um, they said, you know, how do I make a ton of money? Um, and it was a young person. I mean, I get, I'm sure you guys, if you're not already getting those questions, you're going to get those questions when you are speaking and coaching. I mean, people like they don't care about significance. They just care about success. Mm-hmm. They just care about being rich and, and famous. And so um, I, I said to this person, like, man, um, if you like just totally focus on how much you want to give back and understand the percentage mm-hmm. based on how much you earn. Then, then you'll fi- then you'll make the money, right? Like if you want to give God ten percent, you ought to be thinking, Lord, I want to give you, I want to give you a hundred grand this year, right? Now you fi- now you've let God know how much you want to earn. It's a different perspective than I want to make a million dollars so I can give yeah, God hundred grand. It's just like I want to give a hundred grand to to the groups that matter most. Um, well, now I know how much I have to go make. Just mm-hmm. a different perspective, and that sounds like you keep beating that drum. The both of you, how important perspective is. Mm-hmm. And no matter what situation we're going through, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to close with the, the last question I have for you. I wanted to keep it really light and easy. 
Um, so let's talk about uh, inequality and racism. Let's do that real quick. That's super light. Um, let's do that. Um, so real quick, as we close out the show, I absolutely love it, right? I mean, we're more polarized and socially charged maybe than ever in the history of uh, of humanity. And you guys are a multiracial couple. Again, this is audio only. So in, until they go to your websites and check that out, um, go through foster care, tons of diversity through foster care, right? I mean, oh my gosh. Um, how are you guys talking, communicating, leading, um, redefining in, in a positive, uh, intentional way relative to that? I know it's a big part of what you're doing. Yeah, so the redefining normal concept, I'll speak for, for myself first. Uh, the reason why I was so passionate about this concept of redefining normal is for, for Black communities specifically, I feel like, and, and one of the, the influences of creating the Rose Empowerment Group also was because uh, from our, I think culturally, we uh, were we were originally enslaved coming into the, the United States. And that was kind of the foundation of our culture and who we were. And so much, we, I don't think we truly were able to go through the redefining process because of a lot of the oppression and the attacks on our community, we never really had that opportunity to step back and say, hey, let's go through this process of redefining our identity and our culture so much. So we had to just continue to go along and try to survive, try to survive based on what we knew. And we knew, all we knew was that enslaved culture. So we had to survive based on that. So now with this redefining normal concept, with this rose rising over societal expectations concept, myself, I'm challenging my peers, people around me, our communities to go through that process of redefining culture. Because so much of what we strive to do is, I, I think it's extremely important to build wealth and gain ownership. I think that's like behind defining culture, I think that's like the second most important part. But the first thing we have to do is redefine culture. That includes mental health. That includes our spiritual health. And that includes our emotional health and all that good stuff. And that's what we're really working towards doing. And combating racism is, to me, empowerment. And the way Jesus showed love, we talked about love earlier. The way Jesus showed love is, you know, he had to say he sacrificed himself and or because he loved us. So in order for, I feel like for other races, and I'm not, I don't have expectations for other races. I'm just focusing on what I can do and what my people can do. But uh, for other races, I feel like for uh, like Alexis, for you, what you can do is you need to sacrifice a little bit of yourself, a little bit of your privilege, a little bit of maybe even sometimes your wealth in order to serve other people. Because that's the way that Jesus did it. He, he sacrificed his life and his body for the people. So I feel like if we really are striving towards a, a, a society that we want to see, there needs to be some sacrifice on the end of certain people in order to empower other people. Of course, like for an entire race, it, it will be hard because there's a, a combative dynamic where there is like, you know, you don't want to give up that power. But I think in order for myself and, and our intentions with serving Black communities, we need to be as intentional as possible in empowering with empower culturally with wealth in many different areas, specifically those two, but many different areas. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we've experienced a lot of hatred and death threats and other things because we're an interracial couple. Um, so that is something we've had to deal with. And you can read about that in our book, uh, the chapter love is not always black and white. 
uh, which was the perfect <laughs> title. My friend actually came up with that one because we, you know, we have to move forward in love and show people that, you know, our relationship uh, is based on legacy and based on what it is that we're going to give to others, not based on anything superficial or uh, what you see on the outside. Um, and so I think trying to be an example to others through our relationship, through our marriage, um, and that's going to show through, I think, in, you know, the work that we do and trying to break these concepts and ideologies that's being passed down. That's just causing a lot of harm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I oftentimes think that like all of the best principles and strategies, the, di- the direction, um, empowerment, all of that good stuff. Like, I, I think that it's best when it's focused towards the youngest people. Um, Cause like the way that I have come to know, how do we get men to maybe be less um, uh, sexist and, 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 and thinking that they get to be in charge of everything is when they're a six-year-old little boy and you teach them how to treat other six-year-old little girls. Like then eventually they turn into a 16, 26, 36, 46 year old man that like sees a, equal age or, or younger or older woman as an equal. Right. And so like when we teach young people um, it, it, I think that solves it better than trying to tell a 46 year old, not that we can't teach an old dog new tricks, but uh, I'm always confused why, why enough, there isn't enough laser focus towards young people, making sure that all that crap doesn't get indoctrinated into them. Um, What do you guys think about that? How important is that in your equation? Yeah. I mean, I didn't really, realize the impact of even parents and their ideologies and uh, what it is that they teach their kids and all these things until um, with my foster adoptive parents, uh, when I would ask them questions of, you know, how do you have so much patience with five kids at home homeschooling? And, you know, how do you not whoop them? How do you not yell at them or scream at them? Cause they don't do any of that. And that completely changed my perspective around parenting and that you can just show so much love and respect and your kids will love and respect you back. And, um, and then having my mom tell me, you know, I am raising husbands and wives and business owners and pe- impactful people that in the community. And I don't know why I never thought of it that way. Like we are raising these kids to be members of society and parents yes. and all these things. And I didn't think of it that way. And then knowing that she has the intention and uh, she's foreseeing what it is that she's building and creating, I wish more parents would see it that way versus I have these kids right now. What am I going to do with them versus what am I training them up to be and to do? And when they depart from me, how are they going to go? And I think that's that's the biggest thing that I I wish more families and communities would reflect on Mm -hmm. um, because I don't think I know for a fact (laughs) it doesn't happen. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) you're right. I also want to think like I, w- I w- wish parents would think more or less. These are not my children. You know, you hear so many kids mm. or so many people say those are your kids. You do what you want with them or these are my kids. I'm going to do what I want with mm-hmm. them or whatever. But change your perspective about these are not my kids, but these are these are children of God. These are gifts from God given to me that I need to take care of. Like change yeah. your perspective of this, this is not just my wife. This is God's daughter. That I need to take care of. This is my child. This is a gift from God that I need to take care of. Once we claim ownership and try to do things our way, then we abuse it. But once we give that ownership to God and say, this is a gift given to me by God, then we kind of change our perspective and take care of it in a a different way. Yeah. I mean, one of the 
you know, maybe longest principles that, that the world knows is that when you borrow something, you ought to return it in a better condition than yeah. the state in which you, you were able to get it. Mm-hmm. And, and if we looked at, if we looked at everything as something that was being loaned to us mm-hmm. and that we need to return it back in a way that's even better than it was given to us, then maybe we would take the kind of care that we should. You mentioned Simon Sinek earlier, so I know he's an influencer for you guys. Uh, one of my favorite things that I've ever heard the man say is that leadership's not about being in charge, but it is about understanding the responsibility uh, for those that we're charged with. Mm, and when, when we when we see it that way, I think we see it the right way. Um, last question. Uh, I said last question three questions ago, but I like you guys, so I, I keep going. Um, <laughs> You're here for it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, how I I um I haven't figured this one out, um, but I, but I want to hear what you guys think. What I know is that when somebody is fearful, they change. Uh, they do something different. They're scared. So because of fear, they do a different thing. And I know that when people are guilty or shamed, they do something different, right? When, when you feel shame, like if mm-hmm. I need to, you know, if I feel like I need to lose some weight, you know, the shame, I might keep my shirt on instead of take my shirt off. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, shame and fear get us to, to, to do things differently. And sometimes folks can try to get um, a shift in our mindset about equality and, and racial uh, uh, important topics through fear and shame. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's sustainable. Like eventually the fear goes away and then people revert back to what they were doing before they were scared. Mm-hmm. And, and when shame goes away, people go back to doing whatever they were doing before they felt shameful. Mm-hmm. If those, if fear and shame are not long-term solutions to getting change to happen, then what's the long-term solution to getting folks to stop being racist and stop seeing themselves as superior and above? How do we get folks to want themselves to make the sacrifice and investment you talked about relative to wealth or, or privilege, right? You, you said, Jesus said, you, you got to die to yourself and you got to make this investment. How do we get people to want to do it themselves and so they don't feel fearful to do it? or shame to do it. Mm-hmm. What's the answer to that? So that it lasts for more than a few weeks or a few months mm-hmm. uh, until the next news cycle. Yeah. I think, I mean, the same principle goes to church. Like you can't be in a church where it's all about fear and shame and that doesn't work. That just creates more ashamed and fearful people. <laughs> yeah, cool. um, and, and it all comes down to your relationship with Jesus. And in the same way that we're re- that God created us as relationship beings. And so uh, most of the time you're not going to, feel the impact of anything until it's happened to you or it's happened to those that you love. So I see it as having relationships with those that are unlike you, that don't look like you, don't think like you. And when things happen, when feelings arise, you can have these conversations and you feel safe and comfortable in those spaces rather than operating from uh, that fear and shame or from guilt or all these negative emotions that may come that may come up you're you're safe and confident in order to have these conversations and i know throughout my life and my childhood being mostly the only white person in black communities and feeling safe and comfortable to have difficult conversations now as an adult i can have these conversations and call out other people that look like me and have these in interesting and, and uncomfortable conversations that are, that are incredibly important. Uh, so I would say for, for me, I see it as through relationship and through mm. uh, wanting to seek out understanding rather than trying to be understood. Mm, that's good. That's I good. See, uh, 
I think uh, Alexis gave an amazing uh, answer. I think that's incredible. I, I wanted to add that I feel like we are all a body. And, you know, scripture talks about us being the body, Christ being the head. And um, when, you know, if one part of the body is hurt, then we're all hurting. I think that for some, somewhere along the way, there, you know, Jesus taught the upside down kingdom, like the kingdom that was completely opposite of the way the world worked. And um, for some, somewhere along in the world, you know, there was a power dynamic shift where, you know, white people kind of established themselves as the one that all of society needs to rely on. And I think that once we get to a point where we can all rely on each other and there could be equal power dynamic. And I think that, like I said before, that comes with empowerment of with, with black communities and other oppressed communities. We gained some form of, you know, like ownership and wealth and reestablishing culture and everything outside of oppression and white supremacy that we should have, that we start to express and internalize. Um, I think that it really requires, you know, us playing on an equal playing field where we have a certain percentage of, of say so in government and certain percentage of wealth in the country and certain percentage of different things, because you, you can be ran over easily right now, because, you know, if you say something racist or you say something, you know, that's evil, there is no consequences. And, you know, there is fear and shame, but there's really no consequences. Like even if somebody on a news channel or somewhere in the company says something that's kind of racist or evil, then they may say they tweet out an apology. A few weeks go by, we forget about it. They probably got another job, you know, that's not in, in the public eye or whatever. So there's really no serious consequences. But I think that once we, if we can see ourselves as a body and all connected and we get to a point where black communities do have a certain power in the U.S. where there is certain ownership where, you know, if you do disrespect this group or disrespect that group, there are certain consequences. For so long, there's been no true consequences for disrespecting or hurting or harming black communities or other communities. But once we get to a point where we can be viewed as a body and we hold certain percentages of wealth and government, and then so you don't want to disrespect those people because there are serious mm -hmm. consequences, then we can get to a point where um, we see ourselves as equals, as, you know, a body, like I said before. Yeah. What a great analogy. I love that. I love that body part. You know, I never look at my body and say, you know, who cares about my feet? Right. Or, you know, I'm kind of like really excited about having hands, feet, arms, ears, <laughs> like all of the, like all of those parts are uniquely special and different and important and collectively and collaboratively, collaboratively, they make, they make something I think pretty, pretty awesome. What a great analogy, man. I have thoroughly enjoyed both of you guys, um, Alexis and Justin Black, uh, the authors of Redefining Normal and also their Rose uh, Empowerment Group. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Rise Over Social Expectations. Is that yeah. right? Rise over societal expectations. There we go. Societal. Sorry. Um, I, I want folks to go to your website. And I want them to go buy your book. Right. So stop what you're doing. Just pause. It's, it's a podcast. So you can pause it. Right. It's, it's not live TV. Pause it. Go get the book real quick. Come right back to the podcast. Finish listening to the end of this. But Redefining Normal, you can get that on Amazon. It's a best-selling book. It's got lots and lots of awards. Tell folks real quick, what are the best websites they need to go to so they can connect with you and keep uh, loving on you and being loved by you? 
Yeah, and for um, all the listeners, we would love to give 50% off of our autograph copy. So that's on Ooh. our website, read-definingnormal.com. And that's with promo code 50OFFRN. So it's 50OFFRN on our website, read-definingnormal.com. Then we're on Facebook, Redefining Normal Movement, Instagram and TikTok. Yes, we're on TikTok. Um, and it's read-definingnormal. <laughs> Right on. I love it. Read-definingnormal.com, right? I love it. Justin, Alexis, thank you so much for being on the program. We hope you come back. Yes. Of course. Please invite us. Thank you. Hey guys, Titus Bartolotta here with Collaborative Solutions Group. I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode of Solutions from the Huddle. If you want to hear more episodes and continue supporting our show, simply search for and subscribe to Solutions from the Huddle on any major podcast platform. Thank you again, and we hope you'll join us soon.